Guys, what's up? Welcome back to the Way of Will John podcast. As always, we have a special guest, and I know I say that every time, but our guests are increasingly quite special, and that goes especially much for Simon Agdestein, who I'm once again not going to try to do the intro for. He is going to tell you about all the crazy things that he got up to and is up to in his life, but uh, for all of us footballers, and chess players, this is going to be an episode that I think you guys are really going to love. So, Simon, thanks for being here. How's it going? Good. Good. I'm at my summer house just outside Oslo, and I enjoy Norway. Enjoy Norway now, not in the winter? Like, uh, do you enjoy? Actually, I enjoy Norway most of the time. I like the change of the climate, so I'm, I'm fine here. I used to like traveling around more before actually yeah you, you don't dodge the summer you're not like one of those uh, scandinavian people who runs away as soon as it becomes that september it's much too hot uh, i know people go to greece and so on uh, i wonder why because it's so nice here <laughs> i love it i love scandinavia i've spent most of my career in scandinavia as i've said right. in denmark uh and in finland i was very very far north when we were in Finland, it was snowing in June. Right now, it's probably it's probably snowing in Rovaniemi, <laughs> you know. But uh, so I don't know where to start. But I guess we should go back to the beginning. You were a professional footballer, national team player, and at the same time, you were also a professional chess player. How did that happen? Um, more or less professional, as. Uh professional football wasn't really started in I played in Norway and I got paid after I came on the national team so uh, I actually played on in the second highest league when I came on the national league uh, on, the, on the national team which was quite a surprise uh, I was on the national junior team and so on so uh, um, I probably was talented uh, or before but I have had no idea that I would actually come on the national team the a team it happened uh, uh it was a short uh, and uh, interesting experience it lasted only a year or so because i got injured too early that is yeah uh, uh one way i want to definitely run through the interview and dealing with injuries and you know you're speaking to a whole group of guys who are in between the ages of you know as young as 13 and up to in their early 40s uh are the guys that are, you know, fans of the channel and, and trying to become better footballers, better people, just learning and stuff. And, and someone who's had your experiences, I think, is is it's important for them to hear. So, how did you transition? How did that happen? I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure what injury you had, and and how did you deal with that to continue to have success? Because that's something. I th well, um, I didn't really continue to have success. Actually, it was kind of before and after the injury. The before the injury, it was a knee injury cruciate ligament and the complications, lots of complications. So it took me quite, uh, it took me out of everything. Uh, uh, I, I, I t my intention when I finished school was actually to become a chess player. Uh, I managed to keep it, keep on playing uh, maybe a year or so. And at my peak, I was number 16 in the world. And uh, then I just realized it was... Uh, uh, a quite lonely life, actually. It was very lonesome. So I wanted to study and, uh, and live a normal life. And then, I, and then I kind of returned to football. 
and it was that same year that I actually came on the national team. And, and when that happened, everything changed dramatically. I got paid, all the clubs wanted me, I got offers. Uh, uh, it was just stressful. It, it was so fun to play football until I came on the national team, I would say. <laughs> Actually, it was quite fun a little while, for a little while. But yeah. uh, if if I had had more experience, or if I could have continued my career, which I certainly would have done in football, uh, I probably would have got um, used to all the pressure and all that. Because how did you how did you deal with it then, just in at, general? At, at at that time, I don't think I deal, dealt with it very well. But I wasn't quite happy with my trainers. I must say. Because uh, I was young, and it, and it is, it's it's extremely important to have good uh, trainers and people around you. I think uh, I had I had Egil Olsen. He was the national he was the national coach of Norway just a couple of year years after he brought Norway to the World Championship in the US, and and into France four years later. So. Um, if I hadn't been injured, I might uh, have experienced that fantastic uh, successes. But uh, uh, so it's quite—you have to be quite lucky, actually, to to have a long career, career, especially in football, when the chance of getting injured is so high. Yeah, it's competitive. Uh, I mean, as all all the guys who, that are listening, you know, we make videos about how it is to, to go pro and there's so much more that happens behind the scenes once you become a pro, like for instance, with the stress, with the pressure, dealing with networking, dealing with coaches who want you and directors that don't want you. And you know, there's a whole nother thing that, that goes on uh, apart, apart from just, uh, are you good? Are you good is just, that just gets you in the door. You know, uh, after that, there's a whole lot of other things that most people don't know anything about um but so with the the pressure i mean the pressure of, of both of those things to play at such a high level though is, is is incredible what was your training like what sort of what did that i, I wasn't very serious i must say uh in, in neither of the sports but uh i, I was totally into chess I, I, I was thinking chess and, and played chess uh, since i was got stuck on it to kind of when I was eleven or twelve, then I was my mind was uh, focused on chess kind of all the time, and I kind of just played soccer just for fun. And it was a surprise when I came on the national under seventeen team of Norway, and uh, uh, but uh, there were good people around me. I think that was uh, the key success factor at that time. And then bad people came around me, to sort of. <laughs> well, that's a good. Sorry, no, I was just going to say that that's a good lesson to 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 be aware of. I mean, your environment dictates a whole lot. Uh, if you're not willing to change your environment or to change the people around you, you sometimes head down that path, right? Uh, so I was much too young. I was only too, when you're in your early twenties, or at least I was very immature at that time. So. Uh, I wish I had more experience, more experienced, or had someone with more experience experience around me. I should have had an agent. I didn't even have an agent. Oh wow! You didn't even need it. Uh, I mean, well, that's it's a it's a funny thing, right? I mean, usually to get to the place where you were in the national team, you almost always have an agent uh, that that helps get you there. It's it's amazing that you didn't, you know. Yeah, my plan was actually to quit playing soccer 
and I wanted to play for my old club just for fun when I, uh, in between the chess tournaments. And then I got quite surprised because my club wanted uh, $10,000 for me, yeah. which was, what, do you want money for me? <laughs> and then I got angry and I said, okay, then I can continue. I can continue playing soccer, I kind of sure. agreed on. But then uh, I don't want any first like that. If you, um, I, I should go free to any any club right. after, any right. time I want. And, and that same year, I came on the national team and I had offers from uh, all the biggest clubs in Norway and even from Turkey. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and I definitely needed an agent. At that yeah, of time. course. Right, right. It was only all about money, which I hadn't cared about at all. I just played soccer for fun. Then I became good and it was fun. So, do you think that that's what essentially was part of the reason the pressure got to you? Uh, in a sense, it was because you just played for fun. And when you just play for fun, most of the time, you, you, you do your best, you know, when you're not thinking. Uh, unless you're very experienced and manage to handle all those things. But it takes it takes some time, I think, to, uh, to, to handle all that kind of pressure. You suddenly became fam- become famous and... Uh, yeah, you're in the paper. Points, <laughs> uh, depending on how good... People judging how good you play and such things. Uh, how about then... So all the lessons you've learned, and I mean, chess is, was probably your first love in a certain sense then, yeah? Chess was what you loved first as a kid uh, before, before yeah, football. I, I kind of, I've, grew, I've grown up with chess, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, my, I come from a chess family, but uh, I kind of quit, stopped playing when I was seven. I played between, I was between five or seven or something. And then I played nothing for about four years. And then I suddenly started again when I was 11. And then it all went very fast. I became the national champion of Norway when I was 15 and became second in the junior European Junior Championship also when I was 15. And after that, I didn't take part in the European Junior Championships because it was kind of too weak. And I became a grandmaster. I was the youngest in the world, the youngest grandmaster in the world when I was 18. Uh, but it was different times. Now it's all uh, the, the grandmasters are younger and... Uh, and, and and the Soviet Union, <laughs> all the good players have come out there. So, and the internet, of course, has changed, uh, and the computer has changed the whole sport. But uh, the danger, uh, I was totally out of everything for one and a half year or something, and a much chess career never got back after that one. Of the injury, it, it's it is fascinating to see, uh, and I mean, my ni- limited knowledge of of chess to see such youth now. You know, with the, I think the someone just broke the record of grandmaster right at twelve. That's like true. This. They become younger and younger, and they co- often come from India and uh, China, <laughs> and the competition is enormous. So how how are they? And, and I mean, we're going to get to how you've applied some of the principles and, and logic and critical thinking, all that are that are necessary for chess into your life. But how are they doing that? Like for somebody, I mean, there's a lot of guys here that want to learn, uh, and that's generally the theme of our podcast. Is essentially we try to find people like you who have done extraordinary things, see the mentality behind that. Well, how, how do you think, or how would you approach? I mean, we should probably mention that you also mentored, essentially coached, who is now the greatest chess player. In the world, yes. right? Yes. That's so, true. how did you approach that, and and uh, what makes him good? Uh, you know, I, I think actually, uh, Magnus Carlsen, the world champion, 
we we do uh, me. I discovered him when I was nine, when he was nine, and uh, and we started training train with him already then, and ten years later he was number one in the world. So that was a fantastic journey. Um, he was a grandmaster when he was thirteen, and uh, he was a wonder boy with uh, tremendous skills. Um, so it was uh, fantastic just to watch uh, such a talent uh, at uh, close. But uh, I think also him for also also for him just playing, just having fun, no pressure. There were no goals or achieving, uh, no goals of becoming a grandmaster or anything. It was just to focus on the, on the game and try to master the game. And if you master the game fully, then you eventually become world champion. And uh, and that's actually what he said when he became world champion. Uh, what then? Some journalist asked, and then he said, "I still have a lot to learn." He wasn't for even then. He wasn't focused on results, yeah, or even the world championship champion title. He just want you just want to learn because uh, you're curious or or something like that. Then you become very very good at at something. Then you think uh, Magnus probably played chess at least five hours every day since he was nine years old, and that's of course because he loved it. It wasn't because it, was, it wasn't. Uh, it didn't do that to achieve anything. He just uh, loved playing chess, and that was the same for me. I loved what I did, and uh, and when all the other things affected it, it wasn't fun anymore. And then the results uh, got worse too. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was about your awareness. It was about enjoying the game. And, and so that's what you noticed in him. I mean, and I, I can definitely say the parallels in, in order to have a, a long football career, uh, you know, with my father also playing for the national team. It wasn't because he sat me down and said, you have to train, train, train. He didn't right. do that at all. Well, it, it was never. It was completely all fun. Yeah. All the time it was fun. Right. And then when he wasn't around, because I had so much fun playing with him, when right. he wasn't around, all I did was play. Right. And so that's it. That was, that was, I caught the soccer bug and just like you know you caught the chess bug and and magnus how had that you know in him and that's what creates you know uh this advanced level and an ability to, to keep going it is interesting though because i mean for instance you obviously i'm not sure if you saw i i didn't see it until very late but there's a, a documentary called the last dance about uh michael jordan i think uh-huh. uh and he obviously being the the greatest basketball player, I know it's still debatable for some of the new generation, uh, but he was incredibly competitive and, or is incredibly competitive. Everything has a result. Everything is about winning. And that is his approach. I mean, I'm aware that there are definite approaches to it, but did you find a balance or do you see a balance between Magnus now in trying to got to defend the title, but I, I also love it, so I want to learn. Has he balanced those well, or how, uh, you know? Actually, Magnus, you, you also need that competitive, competitive thing, I think. And Magnus certainly has that. He wants to win everything, even if he plays Monopoly, he wants to, definitely <laughs> wants to win. So he, I think maybe to become really the world champion, you kind of need that, that aspect too, uh, in addition. So uh, both things. But I don't think uh, the, disi the discipline way, uh, I don't know how it is, but uh, you, or it, you imagine the old Soviet school or Russian school or something, and, uh, or, or maybe Chinese school, I don't, I don't know. I think it's global. I think even those, uh, it's not only cultural, I think it's, it's for everyone, as you say. Um, 
no matter where you come from, that you have to to love what you do to become very very good. Uh, yeah, that's it's clearly it's clearly the point, and I know it's it's hard to stress for some guys because I think when we see a lot of the a lot of the questions and comments that come in, you know, they see the stars now, and I mean, you're aware of what it's like on social media. English Premier League spends all their money on advertising. They blast on these face, and kids want to play here, or they want to go to Juventus, or they want to play for Real Madrid, and so much of the focus for a lot of these guys is on getting to there. It's a status symbol. It's a thing. And I saw a quote or maybe even a video from Clarence Seedorf, you know, and I, I had the chance to play against him and then talk to him after the game when he was playing at AC Milan. We played against them uh, with Chicago Fire. And I saw just recently he was speaking about how he was annoyed at the goal of a lot of the young players, which was simply to be a star rather than to be good at the game. And he said, it'll take care of it. I mean, he's a world star. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. You know, the guy played for Real Madrid and Champions League. And, but he, he took care of it by taking care of the game, by loving the game. And, and he still stays fit now. I mean, you can see videos of the guy training. He's not playing, but he's still, you know, he's still training and fit. And I think it's a testament to loving the game. So exactly. for you, yeah. I agree totally. So it's interesting that you say that because every everyone, uh, well, that, that's the clue. <laughs> and, and good and good parents with good genes. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and lot and lots of lot of luck, actually, because mm-hmm. you don't really control who you meet. You don't control who becomes your trainer. Sure. And the trainer really can destroy you. It's my experience. How how much then is the positive mindset in setting yourself up for it? Have you do you account or attribute to you know? Uh, I mean, you're obviously still still teaching chess and still doing this. How how do you how do you approach these guys and girls obviously to to become better? And I'm clear for sure you try to teach them more than just chess. You're teaching them about discipline and life and et cetera. Well, uh, it's the same. We just meet and we just do something. It's it's not uh, a very set program or anything, but uh, we certainly have fun. That's for sure. So and uh, my I have fifteen young youngsters between sixteen and eighteen at my in my group, and when I just when I collect them there, make them move, uh, they move from home, and then kind of half the job is is done. Is is my perspective, because they have to they have to do the job them, themselves. But um, when we, they get together and we go on tours and so on, it's, we have so much fun. And then hopefully there will come some talents out of it. And there has. It's not only Magnus Carlsen. We had the world junior champion. Arjan Tari became world junior champion. That was fantastic. So he was also my student. So um, um, there, there are many things you can do, but you have to love it. And... And the social aspect is extremely important. Extremely important, actually. When you say social aspect, what, what do you mean specifically? Uh, having friends, having uh-huh. someone to play with. Magnus, when he, when he was 15 and so on, he went to the super tournaments. The other grandmasters had uh, the world stars, had the super grandmasters as seconds. Magnus just brought uh, a friend, a, a weak chess player, but someone he could play with. Because he had the chess himself, he just wanted to have someone to play with. That aspect is uh, uh, very, very important. But still, Magnus did train chess at least five hours every day. So you can. It, it also takes a lot of time. It must be said that uh, it takes hours every day. 
I, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's obviously that, uh, that trope that's out there, of course, the 10,000 hour rule. And, uh, it's a good, it's a good thing to be out there because I think it, it gets people focused. I think obviously when people get a little bit too focused on the amount of hours that they try and put in, they once again, lose that fun aspect. They lose the, the, the point of it. And it's also about the quality of the time that you spend training, right? I mean, if you spend five hours just moving a pawn from <laughs> one square to another, you've done, you've done nothing, right? And I think the same thing can be said about football, uh, which is something that I stress. A lot of guys, when they go out to train, they might just go out and walk around and just kind of kick the ball and take some shots, right? That's the most fun thing to do is take a couple shots. You don't want to run. You don't want to. You don't want to work on your speed. You don't want to work on your strength. You just so it's the quality of training that is so important, and it goes back to environment. I think because I noticed when I made the first U14 national team, I was on the best team in my state already in in Kansas. Uh, but we we took a selection of players, the best national team players, and we were actually I think the very first U14 national team. We went to Mexico. Uh, to play against Mexican clubs and, uh, you know, um, and they were tremendous, you know, uh, they were just unbelievable, very high level. By the time I came back, it wasn't, it was just a couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, by the time I came back, my level between the team and, and you know, a bunch of players who are very good for the, the state, you know, a few million people was so high. It was, I, I jumped, you know, forward, orders of magnitude higher than, than everybody just because I've been training with people who were also the best in there. And, and so it's definitely something to stress. And I always get annoyed on YouTube because anybody can make a video and anybody can, can say, this is how you should train and this is how you should do it. And uh, I think it's very important for people to understand you want to have good trainers that want you to have fun, that can teach you and show you the proper way to win and, and be better. Uh, I, you know, so in any case though, I, I would love to know of all the principles of chess and all the things that you've learned and from just speaking to you, this, this couple times that we speak, we've spoken, you live a very relaxed life. I get the sense that you have a very nice, calm way of approaching, even if you might have trouble. So how have you taken all the things you've learned from chess and continue to learn from chess to your life? Like if you could squeeze it into somebody who doesn't know chess, well, yeah, there are lots of things. I think Gary Kasper wrote a book uh, either called What You Can Learn from Chess, well, What Chess Can Teach You in Life, or the other way. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I've read it. I've read it. <laughs> you read it? I've read it. It's good. Yeah. Uh, um, at least you have to take care of your pieces, uh, your friends. Uh, you have to be materialistic in that way. Uh, you can sacrifice uh, friends, your pieces. <laughs> <laughs> um, modern chess the old way you play chess then you kind of make a, made a plan and you follow the plan and you won the game that was the kind of the Car Carpo, Carpo era when, when Anatoly Karp was world champion from 75 to 85 approximately he um, was very classical but now everything is more dynamic the, the situation changes all the time so we have to change your plans all the time too. And that's uh, perhaps similar to life. Everything changes all the time. So we have to change and adjust all the time to circumstances. So uh, I sometimes think, <laughs> think, think in that way, actually, um, also in life. I've found that to be true. Uh, it's very rare that 
I think plans help, right? Uh, as I get older, I think it's very important to be orderly and organized. And I think for the amount of things that I do, right? But how many times does a plan go exactly like you say? <laughs> you it's changed all the time. Uh, you change all the time. Yeah, uh, it's it just doesn't it doesn't happen. A plus B plus C. No, it's normally A happens, then mm -hmm. Z happens. So figure it out, you know, and and then you can go to on to B. Uh, and especially in the world we live in now, with all the distraction and all the yeah. phone. And but the, but the focus on process that's kind of not results in process. If you're having fun. It's kind of worth it, whatever you do, uh, even if it don't doesn't exactly lead to the point you you intended to to put it that way. But it must be fun on the way. At least that's what I think. But uh, it's a bit of a luxury thinking, actually. I'm coming from Norway and the social system. I don't fall out or anything if if I fail. So uh, that I guess is a quite important factor to mention here. Because a lot of people doesn't really have the luxury to to fail, I guess I don't know, but uh, um, at least now when I'm getting old and so on, I'm, uh, I've got kids and I grown up and all that, so uh, I'm kind of relaxed. It doesn't matter so much, but uh, but there is a hard there is a hard competition out there, I'm sure, in all kinds of fields. So uh, uh, and pr probably much harder now than it was before. When all the Russian was locked in, locked in. <laughs> and yeah. the Chinese didn't exist and the Indians didn't exist. India. There were no chess players from India before either. But now, uh, wow. yeah, so much harder now. So the competition is harder. So I'm not sure um, what's... I think it's a quite big risk, actually, to put all your efforts into just one, uh, one thing. Uh, it's, it's a general topic for if you, for instance, 20. I, we have a couple of Norwegians now. Shall you spend your next 10 years trying to become, to get into the world elite in chess uh, or not? Or play it safe, take an education or something. Um, Arjan Tarin, uh, for instance, the, the world junior champion, he, he's played professional for three years now. But um, he's sacrificing something, um, sacrificing his education and so on. So uh, I think that's the same topic for all uh, for lots of sports, perhaps not soccer because you get so well paid there, but then all kinds of sports where you don't get paid. Exactly. I I mean I can only speak from from experience. For me, school was uh, it was a hassle, and I mean I don't mean my youth schooling. I mean it at a university level. Uh, it was something that was holding me back. Uh, I left school after a year and a half. I think if we would have pushed more, I, I would not have had to even go to college at all. Um, and it's not that I have no interest in education and things like that. I spend almost all of my time outside of training on learning. But I have a love of learning that's been passed down, you know, for my for my parents. Um, so. It is interesting to see. I think the world is changing. I think given what we have access to, like you back when you were playing, probably I don't know how easy it would have been for you to just pull up a computer and start playing chess uh, if that was even possible for you when you were in your prime playing years in your early 20s. Was that the case? There, there were no computers. The computers okay. didn't exist. <laughs> that didn't so. exist. 
Yeah. We bought a suitcase of chess books to return with one suitcase for clothes and one for chess books. <laughs> And uh, right. it was yeah. wonderful. We just sat down and uh, started fighting uh, mm-hmm. without much preparation and so on. Sure. Uh, it's changed. It's changed the way that the, that, that the world is educated. I mean, this 12-year-old who's probably a, you know, a chess champion also, just like everyone else, has the answers to most of what humans have figured out is in, in their pocket, right? In your phone, you hold almost the answer to, to everything that humans have ever figured out. And uh, so that changes what I feel about education. So when I see, you know, um, myself leaving to go pro at 19, having a contract that allowed me to have my schooling paid for, but school was just a hassle for me. It was just a hassle because I had to study what you said I have to study. And I don't want to study what you said. I want to study what I think is fun (laughs) and interesting. And then I have to figure out a way to make, you know, a living around that. And I think uh, that's how I've approached it. And I think as we continue to go, I think more and more kids are going to learn that they can get an education uh, through a different means. I don't think, just like uh, you know, you, you find people meeting the, the, the man or woman that they marry online, that was ridiculous a thought, right? Even in the 90s, that was just like, how could you meet some stranger? That's normal. That is the, it's almost normal now, I think. People, everybody meets who they, you know? And so I think education is gonna go the same way. I think that given, that you can listen to conversations like this, learn from somebody who's had experiences like yours, take the best information out of it, and then go go to the next guy and the next guy. I, I think Magnus has a, has a has a YouTube channel. I think even uh, you know it's pretty big. You could probably learn from from him. It's just so it just seems you know the whole standard educational process is probably going to change. That's yeah. my guess. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember anything. I have a long education. I don't remember anything of, of those years. <laughs> but uh, sometimes yeah. you need 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 the grade to, for instance, become a teacher or something. Th- that's for sure. For a different a doctor, yeah, you can't just practice on your on your friend. <laughs> yeah. A little yeah. surgery. But um, but there are ways to pass those exams. <laughs> I've experienced lately. I'm I'm trying to take up some some things uh, actually recently. I don't, I don't really learn very much, but uh, I pass the exams and I get the necessary things to teach. I'm a history teacher, for instance, and, uh, and then I need to have, have a certain study points and so on. Does your history focus mainly on Norwegian history or is it general oh, no. world history? Uh, the, uh, that's a little, very little part of it. But, uh, What's your focus? Um, well, it's kind of et- et- Euro-ethnic, uh, ethnocentric or whatever you call it. Uh, to Europe, but um, but I love all kinds. I'm interested in all kinds of history. I actually majored in political science. Then I focused on so- Southern Africa, not South Africa, but Southern Africa. So I traveled a bit around there and so on. So uh, I actually wrote a thesis on on the Biafra War. If I heard you, which war? The Biafra War, isn't that what I, called I, I it? Don't, I in, don't know. In Nigeria. In the 1970s. Uh, I didn't know the name. The Civil War? The one that was stopped when, well, supposedly stopped when Pele came into the country. Um, My dad was playing at that time. In Norway, they call it Biafra. I thought that was a place in Nigeria or something. But uh, it's in the 70s, early 70s, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I spent half a year on that one. Or I wrote my main thesis after half a year or so on that one. So I'm interested in kind of everything. 
in Chinese history, Cuban history, whatever, actually. I'm curious. I'm just curious. It's the same thing. I'm just curious. I, 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 yeah, as am I. I mean, there's a part of history that I haven't yet. I enjoy, I like, ancient Egyptian history is fascinating to me. Obviously, pre-colonial Africa is very interesting because growing up in the U.S., you don't hear anything about it. The first time you hear about Africa is going to be through slave trade uh, and the civil rights movement. But you don't hear anything about what was going on in Africa before colonial times. And uh, so I find that interesting. Rome, uh, I would love to know so much more about Rome. Uh, I learned Italian without ever setting foot in Italy. I just have a love for the country and the language. So Yeah. I think Mali was very big. I think one of the biggest um, explorers, you know, all Columbus, Christopher Columbus. But uh, uh, among the, if you look at the, who's the biggest explorer in the world, you may find the find. I think there's a guy from Mali or something around 300 after Christ. Uh, is ranked among the, the rich guy explorers in the world, huh? That rich guy, the the you're talking about the king that was the rich that traveled uh, across. Explorer. Explorer. Okay. Um, I don't remember his name because okay. <laughs> it's hard to remember. But <laughs> yeah. um, but certainly there are lots of things happened there. Of course, another way, that was a topic also in Zimbabwe. Uh, you know, the Great Zimbabwe. There's some ruins from around 1400 or something. Shows there was a civilization there long before the white uh, came. Yeah. And that's uh, political, I mean, uh, because uh, the wise want to think that there was nothing there when no civilization <laughs> there. But uh, but there are proof of that. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things. I don't know if you've ever heard of Graham Hancock. It's somebody who I think I'd love to 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 get on. Yeah, what was that again? I think I heard of. They they he's a researcher. He's a journalist. I think by by trade, but he's probably best to be called a historian at this point. He's part of the the people that helped. He didn't discover this, but he helped. Uh, not expose, but popularize uh, what happened in Gebekli Tepe in Turkey, where they found a settlement that is not supposed to exist, according to mainstream. It, you know, it's, it's 10,000 BC, roughly, somewhere between 7 and 10,000 BC in Turkey. And uh, it clearly shows that our, our, the mainstream says, states that they were settlers, sorry, not settlers, they were hunters and gatherers that they were just tribes running around. They couldn't possibly have formed cities and understood. But we dug up this place in Turkey and they dated it. And there's a city, there's a massive city that was uh, intentionally covered up and deserted, which of course we don't know. And you, you've got the Diluvian period, that time with the flood. Uh, and so it, it kind of matches up there, but nobody knows what happened. But we're there are sure of is that there is a civilization that existed when we said that it, it wasn't supposed to exist. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he kind of just has his whole entire uh, thesis uh, running around trying to say, I think we need to reevaluate maybe what happened. Uh, so, I, you know, I find that stuff very interesting as well. Yeah. And what irritates me is that we are so ethnocentric. Uh, we learn nothing about... Uh, even Russia, I teach my students about Russia because it's our neighbor country, but uh, but it is not nothing about Russian history in, the, in our history books, and certainly nothing on Islamic uh, the Islamic developments and so on. But, uh, but those who get me as a teacher have no choice; they have to learn about those things too. 
Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and you've traveled. You said you traveled, by the way. I just throw this in there before we we, we close. How, have you have you been in every continent as a I historian? I've traveled before, but now I'm kind of much more lazy. I'm <laughs> I'm kind of done done. I've kind of seen the world now. I don't okay. really need to travel so much any longer. But I still travel a bit. I go with my students. We try to make maybe two or three foreign trips. Uh, with my group of, of 15 youngsters and then I'll often uh, I'll try to go I try to go to interesting places that uh, that has something special places that I haven't been to before I brought my I brought my students to South Africa actually I brought the whole group there uh, twice even and we got South Africans back to us uh, in Norway and and so on um, okay, so you made a trade. You mean like so you went there and some people came? Yeah, to North. they That's paid cool. for us when when we were there and we paid for them uh, nice. when they were here. But the problem is that it was much it's much more expensive in Norway than it's <laughs> here. <laughs> That's so true. It's so and, it's uh, so expensive. But a lot of fun. And the thing is that lots of those fun things doesn't really cost money either. We stayed at private homes when we went to South Africa. It was a fantastic the experience. Best. Yeah. I can remember those as well. Uh, we would do, and even just in within the U.S. But I can remember how nice it was. And even I, I went to England. I stayed with one of my one, at one of my friends' uh, place. And it's like you you kind of remember those that feeling of home that you get when you meet and travel around and have other people. I, I think it's travel is definitely one of the things that's changed. I think I've been to somewhere in the '60s. Or so I need to count maybe 60, 70 countries. Um, I haven't taken the time, but that's definitely been one of the things that's changed my entire life from languages to people, friends, having friends all over the world. There's nothing better. I don't think than knowing you, you touch down in a country, you can call somebody and he can call somebody. And then there you go. Before you know it, you got a whole bunch of friends. In that aspect, chess is wonderful. There are chess tournaments all over the world. You can actually go anywhere almost and play a tournament and uh, socialize with people. Which uh, is a perfect, is a perfect closer. Now I haven't stated, uh, obviously I played uh, grandmaster Ben Feingold, in a joking, uh, he's a he's a he's a comedian, really. He's he might as well be a comedian chess guy. His stream and what he does, he's always telling jokes. But I like the way he clearly loves to have fun, uh, and that's what drew me to 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 him as well. And then when he mentioned you in the podcast, it made sense, you know, with with your background. So, you know, I have no idea what I'm really going to try and do and have fun with chess. I enjoy, I mean, like you said, I just enjoy it right now. I would like to put some sort of, it'd be fun as a challenge, let's say, you know, I have a competitive nature and inside to me as well. And it's more or less with myself. Uh, I, I mean, I speak a whole lot of languages and I didn't plan on, it wasn't to tell anyone or <laughs> to do anything. It was just, that's what interests me. I want to challenge, can I do this? So I would love to do the same thing in chess. I don't know what number or where I'll start, but I will definitely, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. I'm going to try and make some sort of decision. I mean, uh, and then, uh, then we'll make a go for it, you know, and just uh, kind of push. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, the odds are against you, but uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. The odds are almost always against me in basically in all the things that I do. So I, I think it wonderful. would be strange. It'd be strange for me to do something Very if the cool. odds were in my favor. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, but okay, awesome. Listen, uh, I, I guess, you, you know, before we started filming, you said you didn't have anything that you wanted to, to necessarily uh promote or send traffic to but uh is there anywhere if guys that are interested in learning 
more about you? You don't have a website? Cool. We have lots of websites, actually. I have a partner from Ukraine, and she's making uh, yeah, about that. six or seven websites. We saw that. We saw that there, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, well, the logo is here, NTG. Okay. So that's we'll throw school. that up. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's my school in Norway, NTG. What does it stand for? Norges Norwegian Top Top Idret Top Sport Gymnasium. Okay. Nor N Norway T Top Gymnasium. Okay. So lots of sports, and I'm running the chess department there. That's what I've been doing the last twenty-two years. Okay. Twenty-two years, you said. Yeah, it's kind of base camp for me. So I've been sitting there with youngsters for my whole adult life. Right. <laughs> okay. uh, that's awesome. Uh, sometimes it's hard to be serious, actually, because uh, I'm kind of injured by all those, <laughs> yeah. all, those all the kids. Things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's in Oslo, though. Yeah, just outside Oslo. Yes. Just outside Oslo. Okay. Well, that is the last of the Scandinavian countries, I think, or I guess uh, technically uh, Greenland is. Is that is that Nordic? Is really uh, kind of a Nordic would, country. No one considers Greenland to be a uh, Greenland among the Nordic. Among countries. the. Okay. okay. Maybe, maybe it is actually, but uh, I've never thought of it like that. I, I, yeah, that's Iceland, what I thought. But Iceland is a Nordic country. Iceland, yeah, okay, okay. So but then, if Greenland is, is it under Denmark still? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, you, you've maybe offended. You've offended all of Greenland now. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, they speak obviously. I think they speak Danish uh, a bit as well. I remember we had a guy yeah. on my Danish club from from there as well, and uh-huh. you know he's so. But um, yeah, so when we come to Oslo, we'll make sure that we come by, play That'd chess. Wonderful, wonderful, we'll, we'll, cool. We'll make it happen. Yeah, we'll make it happen. Uh, I've wanted to come by there, so we'll see if we can do that and film some videos and play some chess. So, cool. Okay. Good well, luck. guys, that is the podcast. Uh, everything we talked about, we'll link some stuff below as well as some of the other podcasts. And uh, yeah, we will, we will see you guys later. Oh.